Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy, thank God, this football season's over a week. Happy Syracuse might be able to play themselves back into the top 25 in men's basketball week. Yeah, I think that covers like the the majority of things here. Yeah, I think uh, as far as Syracuse does. Unfortunately, uh, the women's team couldn't pull off the upset against Oregon, but they played, I think, pretty well considering what a daunting matchup that was. So that was good for half quarters. at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah, half three, like almost three quarters of like really quality basketball against a top ranked team in the country. Like it was at least a good enough performance where like you could pretty, I think you could pretty easily make the like, what if Tiana was playing card? And obviously, like you know, moral victories and whatnot, but still, uh, I think fair enough. That squad, honestly, like I think they're going to be really good this year. But even if they probably get knocked out Sweet 16, however, I think that's actually going to pay a lot of dividends for next year since there are seniors on this group, but I think we're going to see a lot of younger players potentially get more minutes this season uh, without Tiana, and that could mean a lot for a team that's led by her next year, assuming, you know, everything stays as is. She comes back fully healthy. Like, Add I think five this star could be a really, really... Right. Yeah, like, this should be a really, really exciting group next year, um, and I think everyone should be pretty psyched. Um, yeah, I think uh, about, not to like, like the direction of women's team. Yeah, yeah, not to like make this a, a women's basketball podcast. Although you know there are probably or, teams that or, warrant it less. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but but um, <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Q is like a really good example of like letting someone kind of figure things out because there was definitely not like a ton of pressure because obviously we're not like a women's basketball school, but there was definitely a push uh, like a couple of years into his tenure of like, oh, is he really the guy? Is he turning it around? And um, I think gross deserves a lot of credit there but also like there really hasn't been much of an issue since Droz left we're like we've really let you kind of learn on the job and and make this his program he's he's really starting to uh to to get that recruiting up to like a top 10 level which is impressive and I think his coaching's gotten a lot better and he's kind of found his own thing so um obviously I don't think we're gonna be like UConn anytime soon but but we've we've definitely gotten to the place where we're like a major factor on the national scene which is cool and uh, the fact they were able to play with Oregon for so long when Oregon did very well win the national title this year is a, is a pretty good sign without, you know, with our best player being out for the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that again, not to derail the entire podcast early on, but I do think that there's, there's something to be said for how SU's built some of the, uh, you know, you can look at the cross country program, women's basketball, field hockey, women's lacrosse, like how program, obviously like, you know, you have to extrapolate out the money and attention and everything else. Uh, for football and, you know, potentially down the road, men's basketball post Jim Beheim, But like, these are great case studies of how Syracuse University can build um, things from scratch uh, pretty well uh, when they're willing to put time and money and effort uh, behind them. Again, obviously it doesn't necessarily work apples to apples for football, but it's pointing out that like some of these things took a little bit of patience. Some of them, because of the nature of those sports, just took a, an immediate injection of money and time. Um, Still, it just, I think it's an underrated story for Syracuse in general about how many of these programs have been able to become um, immediately competitive on a national scale 
And, you know, Q obviously took a little bit, but for the most part, they've been an NCAA tournament quality team for a decade plus now. Um, and that's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm excited uh, for, for, you know, what's ahead for them this year. And also again, what's ahead for them next year and going forward as Q continues to, you know, up the level of talent coming in the door every single year. I appreciate that you taught on to my, what was going to be a seamless transition into football talk uh, yeah. in terms of program building and patience and uh, the unique uh, situation that you Syracuse university finds itself in with relating to uh, sports and art men's basketball and men's basketball. Honestly, we just, you know, it's been kind of let it ride for 40 years now, but um yeah, no, I think I think you can definitely take some things away from like programs like women's basketball, like cross country. Like, what 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 uh, what right does a, a Syracuse University upstate, you know, cross country team have to be like a national contender? And yet here we are because we found the right guy to to lead the program and Chris Fox, uh, who has obviously moved on, um, and just gave him the resources and the uh, support to do so. And uh, I think football is about the same level of daunting based, you know, based on my very limited knowledge of cross country. Um, but like, you know, we don't have a lot of the, the natural assets that you need that makes it easier for like an sec team to thrive. So you need to find a guy who can lead the program and really give him what he needs to do it. And uh, obviously there are people who are very frustrated with the way the season went. And I think we're both among them, but at the same time, I think there's enough uh, reason to still believe in Dino Babers and this whole era that you hope that, you know, the actual athletic department is a lot more patient. And I think they are. I don't, there hasn't really been any indication that um, Wild Hack and company are not all in on Babers. And I think, you know, with last season, I think he's earned plenty of rope at this point. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if you extend a guy one off season, you know, I, I, you know, I've had this conversation with people in the comments, like, um, extensions are a two-way street. Uh, that's why people sign them because it, it, it helps. It assures a certain amount of safety for both. And, and Dino, especially within 12 months of signing said extension, um, is absolutely uh, probably given a pretty nice um, shelter here. So I think SU um, understands that you know there's, there's nothing to really to be gained from firing him because if you get rid of Dino, you're going to lose um, quite a bit. I mean, they're not going to for one, but two, if you did get rid of Dino, you would lose um, probably quite a few players to transfer. You'd lose most of this incoming recruiting class, and you can debate whether or not this incoming recruiting class is great. But any coach that came in isn't really going to be able to upgrade it um, by any significant um, or reasonable measure. Uh, also, people seem to have a short-term memory around, you know, Doug Marone. Like, I mean, you and me were around. Like, Marone, after year three, people had the torches and pitchforks ready. Um, despite the fact that he clearly upgraded the state of the program um, from what he inherited, um, obviously taking a step back and going five and seven, including losing your last five, not ideal, but it happened. Um, I think him, the staff, the players learned a lot from that season and, you know, were able to cash those chips in 2012. I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, um, but Dino has a much easier schedule than Marone did in 2012. Um, they'll have a much, I think, not more experienced team, but a team that's more experienced at the ACC level and at that level of competition, which is awesome. Um, he has a team that actually has tasted like big time winning um, just a year ago. So I, I'm not drawing complete parallels between the uh, the 2012 and 2020 Syracuse football seasons, but I'm saying keep that in mind when getting really pissed off about the dip um, that, that Syracuse obviously um, is dealing with this year. And also, again, I know I'm not excusing these losses. Obviously, they happen, but we're we're not that far away from you know being six and five right now, or being even seven and four right now. If you want to count the Louisville game as a as a near miss, and to be honest, I do. Um, you could point to a couple clear plays that made that happen. So, I I think that the fact that they were near misses and not close wins um, is the product of some coaching failures um, across the staff um, and some player failures um, at various junctures. But I think this is something that you know. Dino said, and even in his presser on Monday that, you know, you're going to kind of file this away and understand, like you took a, you took a couple things for granted. Maybe a lot of people got a little overconfident. And now um, I think there'll be some really valuable lessons for 2020. And you might see a very different team out there in the spring game and, and a very different team out there next summer um, before we, you know, get back into action for 2020. I don't want to fast forward though. I'm, I'm very much, I'm going to very much enjoy a few months of that Syracuse football in my life. <laughs> 
And I think the other thing that people do need to like take under advisement here, and and I don't think the I don't think the portion of the fan base who wants Dino gone is very big. Like I, even even the tweets, like there are just a couple people who have this thing in their mind, but it's not like a ton of people. But it's and out there enough. Um, and like there's the criticism is really heated up. Um, if you fire and this, I don't yeah, do not think there is any way this happens, even if we get demolished against uh, Wake Forest. Um, if you were to fire Babers you are going to put yourself in such a difficult position to hire a good new coach after that. Um, because you do not want to be the school that has, uh, that has like expectations that are well beyond what your means are. And I think Babers has a pretty good reputation nationally and was like, you know, a, week, a year removed from getting coach of the year votes. If you were to make a move like that, um, you just be making your, it's so hard on you yourself uh, to fill that job. Like if you're Alabama and you, and something happens and you were to fire a coach, you can go hire a great new coach, no matter what Syracuse does not have that same uh, stature or, uh, you know, reputation. It doesn't have the same uh, purse strings uh, to pull on. Like if there's just, it doesn't have, uh, you know, the, the, the assets behind it that you can make a, a rash move, like a Florida state firing Willie Thacker in year two, you need to, you know, stick with your plan and 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 see it through until it, you're like very very sure that it's not going to work. A la Schaefer in 2014 or Red Robinson, arguably a year earlier than than uh, when he was fired. But like we all knew those things weren't working. Babers, like we already saw what a really good season looks like, um, and you'd just be putting it like if you're an agent or a coach, like, is that a, is that a school that you really want to take over when you know that a year removed from 10 wins, you have one dip based on a number of factors and you weren't even given like the the, the ability to go shake up your staff for the first time or something like you just can't, it's just not reasonable. So um, I think we're all very interested to see what he does in this defensive coordinator hire. I think uh, it's very clear that uh, Steve Stenhard didn't turn the entire unit around in two weeks. Not that that was like a realistic expectation, but Clearly, the issues that played us for most of the season are still there. Um, um, I, I still think we probably should change that offensive line, Coach, even if the O-line has played better the last couple of weeks with the, the personnel changes. I think uh, fresh eyes on that situation would be good. I, I think you could see probably a third of the staff changed, and I, I think that's kind of an appropriate response to the season that we've had. Um, but you definitely give Dino like, all the chance that you – you just need to be really sure that he's not your guy when you actually, if you make a move like that, because that it's a very drastic one given the success he had last year and even the success he had in the first two years of, of pretty clearly turning around the program for where it was the final year of Schaefer. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of write off those first two years and it's odd. Like I'm not going to excuse the, like, I don't even really want, I don't really want to go down this road too far. But it, I, yeah. I, I will just say that. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> there, there's just, there's definitely, I've definitely seen like some of it cool down um, after the Duke win, but then last week kind of reignited it. I think for me, I'm more just looking at now, like, you know, what do we do to fix it? And, and how does Dino respond to all this? I think, you know, as you mentioned, I think a third of the staff um, could potentially be out the door. I mean, I don't want to speculate too much on people's jobs. Um, obviously these are people at the end of the day, but to me, I think the guys that are still around for sure, um, I know I wrote this in an article on Monday, um, Justin Lustig, uh, Nick Monroe, Kim McLeod, Reno Ferry, uh, for various reasons, are definitely still around. Um, I think Vincent Reynolds is a probably, uh, based on his work with defensive line, I think that Kirk Martin, Mike Cavanaugh, um, and Steve Stenard are out, and I think Mike Lynch is a maybe um, I really, really hope to be honest that like maybe Lynch just gets reallocated to running backs or something, but I really do think that, um, the offensive system, not that I wouldn't say the system, I would say the offense itself needs to be reexamined because of its failures this year. Um, so I think, you know, getting rid of your quarterbacks coach and Martin and your offensive line coach and Kavanaugh probably helped do that. Um, I think Lynch's play calling has been better in recent weeks, but still really not up to, uh, the task of what we need it to be uh, aside from the first like 15 plays or so. And those scripted um, ones that have actually gained, I think have looked better, better in the last three weeks than I think we even saw for like most of Dino, Dino Baber's tenure, but then everything after that kind of gets scuttled a bit. So I think that's where things shake out again. I think Mike Lynch is going to be the, um, the kind of that, that swing. And I think if he gets rid of him or at least demotes him, I think that'll tell us a lot about how serious Dino takes this. Um, I think if he sticks, 
I think the one thing will be too, like if Dino is replacing him, I think he's going to want to make sure that he can replace him with somebody better rather than just replacing him to do it. Yeah, I, I think even if he doesn't get you know fired, if he just gets, if not demoted, then basically reassigned back to running backs, and then maybe you bring in like a passing game coordinator to to really try to figure out you know how to get this thing going. Um, ultimately, and this is not a surprise if anyone's listened to our podcast all season. Like I think it starts with getting the offensive line situated and rebuilt, which I think the 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 process has started to Kavanaugh's credit, but uh, and whoever else has been. Uh, influential in making the moves that we've seen the last two weeks even in its louisville i thought the offensive line looked continue like continues to look better uh there are definitely still some issues it's not good but if we could if we had a full season of this kind of play i think we'd probably be looking at least one more win and um if we could take like a step forward from where we have been the last three weeks into next season i think you'll see a lot of uh you know paid dividends there um, but ultimately, that's not the only issue, and it might not be the worst thing for Babers to do outside of his tree. Someone that still um, fits within like the the air raid concept that he wants, uh, plus the the you know the running game that we've started to see come along these last two weeks, especially with Moniel ripping off a lot of big runs and Jawar Jordan, who is a a revelation. Um, and I am very excited no, for I, next well, season. I mean, now admittedly, like I know I said something different in the comments today, but. I'm getting more and more annoyed about the lack of use of Jordan because realistically, like he should have been the return man the whole year for one. Um, he could have potentially like revolutionized the inside receiver position if we wanted to use him there. Um, I know we have a glut of talent at running back, so I'm not even trying to make the case that he should have been, uh, you know, one of the main running backs all year, but dude looks damn good. And I mean, that run that he had, like he, it's 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 rare that a Syracuse player is fast and good enough to turn something to turn nothing into something like that, because that 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 wasn't Eric Dungey's turning nothing into something that like was just you know willpower and and, and irrational confidence. That no, was that's... him straight up outrunning the entire Louisville defense in 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 a weird spot right at the line of scrimmage. I mean, absolute track star, and I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah, and it was like considering that after the game, Babers made the um, interesting only in that coaches never say stuff like this, but ultimately like very accurate comment that you know their guys were faster than our guys. Like Louisville has better athletes pretty much across the board. Um, one that one awful year, Bobby Trino didn't like undo all of the like strong recruiting he had, even though it had tailed like year by year. Um, Jawar Jordan does not is not included in that list. Like he might have been the fastest guy on either team. Um, he is just a really impressive athlete. Uh, I think, you know, I, it's very natural, I think, to say, like, why haven't we been using him all year? Although, if he's, you know, here as a fifth-year senior, because I, I think he still retained his – he retains his redshirt eligibility, right? Um, mm, or, he doesn't if he plays against Wake Forest. Yeah, I'm only I, – I think it's hard to, like, put the, the cap back on the bottle now. I thought I thought he might have broken out, like, a week early. Um, but I almost hope we don't play him because like fifth year senior Jawar Jordan is a very, very exciting possibility. Although I know that but is fifth year senior Jawar Jordan even going to be on campus. At that's, that's, that's the question. Yeah. It's, it's hard to like, it's hard to bet on that because, you know, guys are both transfer more and also like, you know, guys make the, the jumps to the NFL, even if they're not like totally sure they'll be drafted and who knows what his situation will be by then. But so yeah, it's I mean, with probably, that speed, I, with that speed, he's going to get drafted. <laughs> He'll probably end up like playing he, this weekend, and it's like it's a moot point at that point. And you do wish then he would have played the whole season. But I like understand that they started the year thinking like between Adams and Neil, and, and honestly, like Adams and Neil have been good all year, and they've been like probably the last, the the, the lowest thing on the list of problems for the season has probably been the running backs. Um, so I, I understand like the the hope that you could like save guys like Jordan and and. Uh, eligible for the extra season but yeah i think ultimately like you play them when they're ready to play and and it, it all works itself out yeah i mean realistically i think they probably should have pulled the band-aid off jordan like a couple weeks earlier um i think that sort of speed is not something you can necessarily like do without i mean maybe maybe teams would adjust over time but like riley wasn't really given i mean this isn't just you know dump on riley here but like Riley wasn't really giving us much on in the punt or kick return game or on offense this year. Um, and that's, that's a bummer for a guy who really seemed to like put it all together last year after like struggling the first two seasons. And now like, I mean, this year's team really like underutilized inside receivers. I mean, Nike Johnson and, and Sean Riley have basically been 
you know, ghosts on, on offense, which is unfortunate because they're both, you know, speedy, uh, fun receivers to watch and guys who can, who potentially fill like an Eric Phillips type role. Um, and neither was really utilized to that extent this year. Like, you know, with Jordan, like Jordan's a running back, but he could have played um, in the slot a little bit uh, if they weren't going to use him, you know, in the backfield. I think obviously you know, th- there's a real place that he could have played um, for the kick return and punt return game where I would say if, if, if special teams have lacked at all this year, um, it's, it's there where the return game just hasn't really been that great. So I think I wouldn't doubt it if Babers plays him, to be honest. Um, and I wouldn't doubt it if we see a lot of Neil as the like outgoing senior um, and Jordan as the potential like future um, as the like two backs that get the most carries. Um, but we'll see. Like, I, I think trying to get inside Dino Babers head about personnel decisions is always like kind of a, a lost cause because he, uh, he has his own way of operating. Uh, I don't always understand it at the time. Sometimes it makes sense later. See the, uh, you know, pulling Tommy DeVito stuff. I was at first like apoplectic and then the reasoning game later made a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to see more Jordan and I'm, I'm excited to see, I think more than anything against Wake Forest, um, just some of the personnel decisions and to see if we end up trotting out, um, the guys we have seen, or if we see some real shakeups at places like linebacker, they probably sorely need them. Yeah, I think you want to balance like letting guys like Mo Neal really get a, a good final uh, game at the dome. Like, I think there is value to that. You want to treat your seniors well. Um, it's it's very easy to say like, you know, you plug in like the young guys, and I think like on a on a grand scheme, like you play the best guys no matter who they are. But coming to the final game, like you want to balance seeing what you've got with your freshmen, like, like, uh, Jordan, like Luke Benson, who I, I continue to be impressed by when he gets a shot. Oh, he's, um, he's so much he's a fun. weapon. Um, and then getting guys like Neil, like a good, like lasting impression and, and a uh, chance to, to shine one more time on senior night. So I think, I think we'll, we'll strike that balance. Um, but I think it all goes back to like, when it comes to personnel decisions in the coaching staff this year, like bringing in a guy from the outside, who's not, you know, a Babers die from his last two stops who still fits within the, the general framework of what we want to do and bringing some fresh eyes to the situation offensively might not be the worst thing to, to get those, those inside receivers back involved where, you know, guys like Nike Johnson, who you brought up, you know, we expected huge things from, uh, expect him to be one of the biggest parts of the offense. And, and he just hasn't factored in this year, figuring out Taj Harris, who I think still has all the talent in the world, but has clearly, there's something not working with him and hopefully, you know, obviously he's a fiery guy. Hopefully that's not like a, a, a bigger thing than it is just during game day, but you, you need to get him, you know, back thriving and positive and, and, and feeling like a, a valuable part of the offense. So um, yeah, I, I think it'll be, uh, I, I, I trust Babers to make the moves he needs to make. I think he knows the gravity of the situation. And, and even if his job isn't in like immediate peril, like you, coaches know when they need to win. I don't think, anyone's ever all that shocked when they're like placed on these hot seat lists and whatnot. Everyone knows, you know, when you're not coaching up to stuff and that, and that's been the case. The coaching has been an issue this year and, and he deserves the, the chance to go fix it. And uh, he'll get it this year, this off season. I, I'm, I'm both like going to be relieved, like you said, when the season ends, but I also look forward to seeing like what we do in the interim and seeing how we address these issues. Yeah, agreed. We haven't had really like a, a, coaching staff situation like this one in a while uh Schaefer never really shook things up all that much um and then Marone like he had like some Marone actually did shake things up quite a bit uh in part because he wasn't an experienced um head coach at the time didn't have this like you know posse of uh, former assistants and stuff that he brought with him like Schaefer did so he had the Bob Pizzullo issue which was fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah he he had a lot of issues uh and still the amount of thank you Bob Casulo the amount of times that I am mistaken for um some sort of relative of you uh always always entertaining on Syracuse message boards um but yeah why don't we transition a little bit just to the uh the SU Wake Forest game Dan obviously we mentioned a little bit about it already in terms of personnel um Wake Forest is sort of banged up which could play to our advantage. Um, again, there's not really much of it. I mean, it would take a lot. It would take a Herculean effort for us to end up getting a like surprise um, bull bid at five and seven. So I'm not even like considering it uh, really just based on everything I've seen around it. Uh, Wake Forest, while they are eight and three and have a compelling case to be the second best team in the ACC, 
Um, they also haven't looked super great in the last few weeks. Um, they're three and two in their last five. Um, they did get smoked by Virginia Tech and Clemson um, in increasing fashion. The same Duke team that only put up six against us put up 27 against them. Uh, Wake did score 39, but some big weapons are gone for Wake, including um, Sage Surratt. So not a great sign, but they still have Jamie Newman, one-time Syracuse uh, recruiting target, um, among other weapons. Dan, do you see this one going our way, I guess, first and foremost? And then, like, are there any things in particular that scare you about Wake? Um, they're really well coached. I mean, it's a lot of the things we said before the Duke game. And ultimately, like, there are times where it just doesn't matter. One team just beats the hell out of the other one. And that happened in our, in our, you know, our way in the Duke game. Um, but wait, has been, I think when they were fully healthy and, and really going, I think you could make the argument. They looked like the second best team in the ACC. I think probably Virginia Tech's probably taken that mantle from them with how they've played recently. Um, but I, I think, uh, they're still going to be like a pretty solid favorite. I haven't seen what the line is. Um, but I, I wouldn't shock me if Syracuse came out uh, and wanted to make a really good last impression going into the offseason, especially because, as you have said, you know, Sage Surratt's out. Um, I think Wake's had like a multitude of injuries recently where it's really been a, a tough way to end a really good season for them. Um, really starting with that Clemson game where, you know, it was very obvious that they were overmatched uh, from the start. Um, it's just been kind of tough sledding for them to end the year, which is unfortunate with how good they've been. Um uh, as for prediction, like I'm very tempted to take Syracuse just because of that, and because I think our guys will have some strong motivation entering the off season. Uh, so I'm, I'm like tempted to take Syracuse in like a weird shootout type scenario. Yeah, I mean, I'll start by saying I'm going to take Wake, but it's definitely going to be closer than I think people might imagine based on the records. Uh, I think like something weird, like 38, 32 uh, Wake wins. I think SU's defense is just like weird. SU's defense just there's too many things that can, that can go wrong. And I think wake has the offense to take advantage. And I think they have, they don't have like a ton of speed, like the way Louisville does at every position, um, but they do have enough uh, to take advantage. I think Newman is a better quarterback than, uh, than Harris is. So I'll, again, I'll give us that weird score, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if SU finds a way to pull an upset here. Yeah. I was thinking as you, right before you said that story, I was thinking uh 38, 34 Syracuse. So <laughs> once again, we had like the weird mind meld with the store, although we're doing different, different directions. This is what happens when you do this for five years and you, you just end up kind of hive minding the whole thing, <laughs> which it works. Um, and I guess expanding a little bit more on things, you know, I, I said, I gave the score, um, I think this Wake team super motivated, and I think that's going to be the reason why they can win. Um, I think, again, like depending on what happens in the uh, the Coastal game uh, between Virginia and Virginia Tech, I feel like, because Virginia, Virginia didn't play Wake this year. They did, Virginia Tech did play um, Wake Forest, however. Virginia Tech beat Wake Forest by 19. Um, I think if Virginia loses to Virginia Tech. Um, I feel like Virginia Tech ends up... I think Virginia Tech goes to the Orange Bowl if they lose to Clemson. Um, I think if Virginia Tech loses and then Virginia gets smoked in the ACC title game, I feel like Wake Forest could go um, to the Orange Bowl at 9-3. Yeah, I'm almost getting like, worried about... Obviously, I don't think the ACC is going like, to lose a... Uh, I, I don't know what, if the, what the machinations are where they could even could lose a... Uh, like New Year's sits tie in like that, but like the Orange Bowl has to be very annoyed with what's gone on. Um, it just hasn't really worked out the last couple of years, especially because like Notre Dame crashing the playoff didn't help either. But like it, it really last year, though, to be honest, yeah, no, I mean, it should have been us, it should have been us, and we would have been a good story, and they probably would have actually liked that considering how we showed up for the Citrus Bowl. It actually would have probably shown pretty well for them, but um, no, it's just like. The ACC tie-in's been such a mess just as, like, Clemson won't stop making the damn playoff, um, which is good for the ACC. you're going to have a Wake Forest-Notre Dame-Orange Bowl. Oh, God. No one wants Enjoy that. Enjoy that shit. <laughs> You'll see yeah, Wake I, I show don't... up. Like, Wake will actually beat Notre Dame in that game just because Notre Dame will be, like, really underwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Like the, the, after Brian Kelly leaves for the Florida State job. That'll be the story later. It's like, yeah, we just really take seriously. Like, we just didn't care. Like, we're above this game. We don't, we, we, yeah. we don't we're too good for the Orange Bowl. We we like to go play for a national championship and lose by 50. That's what we do here at Notre Dame. 
Christ. Man, I could. We, we need to just dedicate an episode to just like all the things that we have problems with in Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> we should have like a Festivus like gripe with the rest of college football episode. I I would enjoy that. Let's put that on the docket like, for next month. I mean, there's there's not going to be that much for us to talk about in like late December. True. Yeah, last year we were talking about bowl games, so we don't have to do yeah. that. Um, we have to. Basketball team is going to be facing nobody of consequence. Yes. Yeah, we we're we're definitely doing that. The the, the player haters ball of uh, of, of podcasts. <laughs> I have to remember to just write stuff down as it comes to me. There's plenty. There's plenty of stuff. So, so much. Um, Dan, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about beer, um, as we usually do around here. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, a slightly less crazy, but still decent uh, amount of stuff for the last couple of weeks. Um, had a uh, War Sombrero by Thin Man Brewing. Uh, I don't think I brought that up last time. Uh, which was really good. I had a uh, Trailblazer New England IPA from Connecticut Valley Brewing. I don't think I had anything from them before. I don't know where in Connecticut they are, um, but the beer scene in my home seat is constantly expanding. Oh, they're in South Windsor. That's not anywhere near me, but it was really, really good. One of the better New Englands I had tried uh, recently. Uh, and then today, earlier, I had a uh, Keller, uh, Keller Fison from uh, Zero Gravity Craft Brewing and then an Old Factory Pills from Two Roads. Very nice. Um, I was up in SF at the beginning of last week, which is why we had to record on Sunday. Had uh, from Gigantic Brewing up in Portland. I had a Colch uh, Tastic. Colch was actually pretty good. Uh, from Urban Roots, uh, I think they're over in Sacramento area. An uh, Easy Peasy uh, German Pilsner. Had from uh, Faction Brewing, uh, the Penske File. Very good pale ale. Also, just a great Seinfeld reference. I was happy to endorse. Um, from uh, Beachwood down Long Beach, had a uh, khakis or car keys, uh, New England IPA from them. Kind of weird, like a good beer, but had like a weird, like kind of almost like lavendery uh, taste at the back end, which was interesting. Um, had from Ale Smith, their Opus Two um, Double IPA. Had a uh, first of well, had first at home of many celebrations um, from Sierra Nevada this season. And then uh, Boulevard and Modern Times had a uh, Restless Nights uh, coffee porter that was super good. Um, like light, but didn't taste overly thin, uh, but had like a lot of flavor. Just a, a pretty enjoyable drink. So yeah, nothing like crazy, but decent list. Very solid. Indeed. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about basketball? So Syracuse like found an offense um, last game. Just because Buddy Bayheim couldn't miss, and seemingly nobody else on the team could either. Uh, that was great. I thought Bucknell's uh, defense was questionable coming in. They allowed 98 points to Penn State um, previously, and that seemed suspect to me. But I, I didn't. I didn't think we we thought Syracuse's offense was this good. Um, I don't think they are, like on average. But I'll I'll take this as a as a nice confidence boost as we head into two potentially difficult games at uh, at Barclays. Yeah, I think, I mean, we talked about it before the la- or after the last couple games, especially after the Virginia game. Like, I don't know that our offense is going to be great this year, and there are going to be games that are ugly if we don't shoot the ball well, but it's also probably not going to be as good as it was dropping 97 on, on admittedly, over uh, overmatched Bucknell team. But you just hope that it settles in somewhere in between where they shoot pretty consistently and can kind of hit, like, you know, mid-30s on their threes and, and take good shots and move the ball. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect that many 90-point explosions, but I do think there'll be more nights where, you know, we have a game like this where we're Buddy and, and uh, Hughes at hot, and it's very hard to deal with uh, because we do have a lot more shooting options than we've had a, in a long time. Um, I'm also really excited about, um, obviously, I didn't play, like, a ton, but I'm excited about this ton of second unit we can bring on. I don't remember the last time we had, like, five guys on the bench who had as much, like, real promise as the group of uh, Gary A, who I think will continue to improve and, and kind of come into a bigger role with the uh, the first team. And then uh, Edwards, Braswell, Washington, and Goody. And, like, that's a really talented group. 
and uh, I look forward to seeing more of them, especially Jesse Edwards, who I think probably has the most refined offensive game from a big at Syracuse. Obviously, he's not ready to, like, take on starting role or anything, but I think in terms of just, like, his ability to, like, make the 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 intermediate, you know, uh, pass the ball, kind of has a, a nice little handle for a big man, can shoot from 15 and out. Um, just like a more refined offensive game from a center than we've had in, you know, a long, long time. So, um, and then, you know, opportunities uh, do like his, his you know, solid job of controlling the offense a lot of the time and he's rebounding well. He's clearly more confident this season. Um, Barama continues to be, exactly what we want out of him obviously Bucknell doesn't have like the bodies that are give him a ton of trouble but you know nine and nine from him and pretty much any game i'll take so not a lot to find uh gripes with from this game but i i do think it's nice to like remind people that oh this team does have the potential to really explode on people when they can get their shots up and and aren't you know getting into bad habits yeah i mean there were definitely like some bad shots here and there but that's gonna happen when you have a three-point shooting team full of really young players um, SU was 14 and 29 from deep. Uh, that's 48.3%. Meanwhile, Bucknell was three of 24 from deep. That's 12.5. There's no way that those two things are going to be able to stick um, for most future games, especially once we get to ACC play. Um, SU again, looked fun. The fact that they only went, they only had uh, 11 attempts in this game and still hit 97 points was pretty wild. Um, the fact that two, only four players hit double digits despite scoring 97 points, was also weird. Um, Hughes had 21, Beheim had 22. Uh, you had 10 for Edwards on 5-for-5 five five shooting, nonetheless. And uh, Gerard had uh, 12 points, including 2-of-4 four from 3. Uh, Beheim at one point was just... It, and you could even tell, like, and this is where, like, the, the potential concern comes, is, like, and this is any team, not just this one, but at one point, Beheim was just in that, like, I can't miss um kind of mindset and that worked for a few shots then it kind of started not to still eight of 12 in the field and six of eight from three is 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 amazing and i was really glad to see him uh you know get going i think the more like we don't need 22 uh two points from him every night but if we can get 12 to 14 out of him i think that's more than probably most people thought we'd get out of buddy Beheim in his sophomore year when he first committed and that would be just such a huge boost um to everybody else it would take some attention potentially off of Gerard, off of Hughes. Um, and since like, if he can come along more um, and he is as a facilitator, like it could open some things up inside too. Yeah. I, I think buddy, it, it's, it's funny how like, on, how, even compared to Gerard, and I think I brought it up last week, like people just weren't expecting buddy to really be the factor that he is. And, and that was definitely true at the end of last season, but now it's just kind of like, a fact of life that he's a one of our best players and it's it's uh it's just awesome to see him have the kind of shooting night that he had the other night but uh yeah i mean he's just such a threat from out there you can't allow someone who is uh liable to go sits for eight um get any kind of like rhythm or, and it does wonders for the spreading out the offense uh especially to get like guys like elijah room to work on the baseline or room to work on the outside um and even just uh, our, our low post guys a little bit more room to, to navigate than they've had in years so uh you're definitely starting to see the big difference between this and like the last couple offenses and, and i don't know that we're going to be you know this crazy offensive team but right now i think in ten palm we are uh he has us at 72nd in offense uh adjusted offense and that's entirely that's like, like murdered by game one <laughs> yes um if we settle in and like in the top 50 and the defense continues to be top 20 like it is. And, and honestly, like I did not expect the defense as a whole to, and obviously we haven't played great teams and Virginia didn't play well in that game either. Um, so I think both are kind of inflated by week one or by game one. But um, overall, I think the defense is a lot better than what you'd expect from a team that is relying on so many young guys who haven't played a ton of time in the zone. So um, obviously there'll be some teams that end up lighting it up. That's inevitable. It happens every year. Um, but I do think it's ahead, even like, taking into consideration the teams that we've played um, ahead of where we expected it to be. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that, you know, like we thought there could be some growing pains with this group and I think there still could be on both ends. I think that a good bar would probably be like top 60 on both ends because now, like now that we know this defense has some ability and I think the offense ends up being at the upper end of what we thought um, that doesn't necessarily mean, again, it's not going to be what it was against Bucknell, but um 
this is a young group and, and they're going to be one that gains confidence throughout the season. If we can avoid that, like bad loss and non-conference play, um, that would do us wonders. If we suffer it, you know, maybe it teaches some lessons as well. I think, you know, if you're looking at something early in the season that could potentially trip them up, um, let's say they get through this stretch here um, that we're going to talk about in a few. And like, you know, you've got a Georgetown team that is capable of beating Duke. Uh, you've got a Georgia tech team that, you know, has jumped up in surprises in recent years. Um, and could do so again. Like th- th- there are ample opportunities for us to get tripped up, um, but I, I don't. I'm not like hoping for a loss, and I don't think a loss is good necessarily. But I don't. I think that there's some positives that could be taken from a loss um, for a team like this, and I do think that uh, they might have already learned uh, some good lessons from that Virginia game, given just how poorly everything looked and, and, and the negative reactions from you know both inside and outside of the fan base. Yeah, I, I I almost like you said we were not happy that that was the first. I mean, even when we drew it, I don't think it was great that we we drew that team first. Um, but getting it out of the way, I, I do wonder if you, there could be some kind of ancillary benefit. And obviously, I don't know that Beheim would admit it because of how sternly he came out against it after that game. Um, but I, I would be interested to hear maybe in a couple of weeks if the offense continues on this like upward trajectory and maybe if we win this tournament in Brooklyn against like not the flashiest opponents, but I'm looking, they're just like three really, really solid power five teams. All could be tournament teams. Um, none that are going to like really jump off the page, but like, I think two wins here would be two really solid wins by a year's end. Um, and maybe hearing from Bayheim, like if there wound up being like some good that came out of that brutal test in game one, um versus taking it down the road so it's 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 nice to have you know college basketball where you can learn some things from a loss and obviously you know in football with Syracuse you know we're not going for undefeated seasons um anytime recently so you can kind of have the same thing but eventually those losses stack up where you know how many years now have we seen Syracuse basketball lose three or four in a row and it looks like things are really dire and then they turn things around for March so um definitely good to like you know, be able to to kind of glean things from those rough games. And and especially this season, and just as a whole in college basketball, I really don't think there's a dominant team at all. Like, look at what happened to Michigan State today. Um, I think it's there's a lot more parity in the sport this season than we've seen in a while. So there there's some hope that a team like Syracuse can kind of rise up and be a really dangerous march out like we've been in years past. Yeah, I mean, last year aside, uh, SU's been one of the dreaded teams to kind of see on your end of the bracket. So... I'm hoping we end up there. Obviously, a lot more game to play still. I think we did luck out a little bit here because I do think while Oklahoma State is solid, I think that they're the lesser of the other three teams in this event. Um, they haven't really played anybody yet. Uh, they've got a few wins, most of them by single digits against like you know mid-major type schools. Um, not a great sign for them, um, but you know things happen. Early season jitters happen. We've suffered them plenty. Um, so I actually like our chances against Oklahoma state. Um, I think they've got, you know, a nice balanced scoring. I think that they're pretty guard heavy. We'll see. I, 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 again, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about our chances there. I think where things get a little dicey is what happens in the Friday game. Um, well, I wasn't overly impressed by Ole Miss in the early games. Uh, they really did test Memphis, um, on the road in their most recent matchup. Penn state, meanwhile, uh, five and oh, they smoked Georgetown, the same Georgetown team that was able to, to down Duke. Um, this Penn State team also beat Bucknell, not by as much as we did, but uh, 98 to 70. I think their defense kind of runs hot and cold, and the offense is really going to be the strength of this group. Um, the fact that Yale was able to drag them into the mud and almost pull off the upset, um, I think, says some good things uh, for Syracuse. So I like our odds in this event. I know we said it when it was – scheduled that like this was kind of not the ideal uh group of teams for this event for Syracuse in particular because like yes it's great to play in New York uh yes it's great to get that exposure and even get these two wins um not in all likelihood but we're going to be favored in, in both games I think um it's just that like there's not necessarily the same draw if we're going to be the marquee team on, on our our own versus you know if we're in there with you know, another either blue blood or, or like, you know, second, third tier, um, like those top 20, top 20 ish, like all time programs with like name recognition. Like, I think there needs to be another one in there and like maybe okay state is at the bottom of that group, 
but realistically, like, yeah, there needs to be something else besides just New York, I, I think, to benefit Syracuse in, in an event like this. Yeah, it's it's not like obviously we've been in some of these tournaments in years past that have been a lot more attractive even the the atlantis tournament a couple of years ago um i thought was like a much better group but the last couple of years like we've been the headlining team in that draw which is like cool but it doesn't really do off for us just like we're part syracuse no matter what um so you don't get like either the like cool rivalry matchup that we drew with uconn that year or uh some of the more attractive ones um like last year even like was 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 a better a better group with how Oregon came into the season. Obviously it didn't work out super well for us. Um, but with like Oregon, UConn and Iowa was even like a step above what this is. Although um, I do think all four of these teams could potentially be tournament teams that Penn state might be like legitimately top half of the big 10, which is never the case. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I'm not trying to play too much. Just if we, if we get two wins out of it. Yeah. I mean, that that's ultimately the best part of it. I think, I think it is better to have some like, because realistically like Georgetown's the marquee team on our like non-conference schedule. And I think in recent years we've had like at least one more name that's bigger than that. Um, so we'll see. I know this is something we talked about in the preseason pod. This is something you and I talked about in the off season. I've written articles about like, I, I think we should strive for better going forward, but you know, I, I, I don't blame SU considering that they, you know, replacing Kip Wellman. Uh, they obviously have to deal with the change of the 20 game ACC schedule. Uh, there, there were other factors at play here. Um, and obviously, you know, hitting reset on most of the offense. Um, so some, some different things at play that, that dictated maybe a lesser schedule being a benefit. Um, in any case, we'll, we'll see that up against Oklahoma state. Uh, are we the only team in this event that has a loss? No, sorry. Ole Miss, us and Old Miss are four and one. Um, Penn State and Oklahoma State are five and zero oh thus far. I never know what to think about Oklahoma State. I just feel like they're like a weird program that like they're like a every lingers. year. I feel like they're a nine seed. Like yeah, they're never no, that bad. They're just always them, in the them Stanford. Um, actually, no, Stanford used had, to be that. Stanford Ole Miss had, as of late. I know they've missed the tournament because we played them in the NIT a couple years ago. But like, whenever Ole Miss is in the tournament, they're an eight or nine seed. There's just nothing yeah. else they've ever been. Stanford is definitely in that boat. Um, Kansas I feel State like ASU, yeah, K State and ASU of late are, are definitely in that same general area. NC State, yeah, even when NC State's like super talented, no, they're a nine seed. <laughs> it's like eight seed. It's like, screw you guys, <laughs> screw you guys. You're gonna you're you're gonna play Duke in round two. Enjoy. You're you're gonna draw like the most pesky uh, mid major. You might beat them, but there's a very good chance you won't. Have fun. Yeah, you're, you're going to face Belmont, who's going to hit 30, <laughs> 35 threes and just bury you. Oh, uh, every it's every fun. We've been in the ACC long picked... enough that we can make NC State jokes, and like they, it just feels right. It feels right, and I feel like there's a lot of other people that would join us in it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, talking specifically about this Oklahoma State game a little bit, because we have a, a few minutes left. Um, Lindy Waters the third is the guy. And if you thought that we were the only team with a third on our on our squad in this game, you'd be wrong. Um, Lindy Waters scores 13 points a game, 5.4 boards. Um, they don't really have like a – I mean, they have like a few guys who can shoot threes. Uh, but not to the extent really that SU has. Um, no one on this team has hit – only one player has hit more than 10 threes um, on the year, which I feel pretty good about. Like if we're looking at things that could potentially um, harm us, I also don't feel like again this is like an overly big team, which is a positive for us. They're not huge. They're not a great shooting team. And I'm looking at this 62 to 61 assist to turnover ratio, uh, and a team that doesn't bear. I'm, I'm gonna assume I can't think of anyone in the Big 12 who even like messes with his own. Um, I could see this. I, obviously, I don't know this team well enough to just like put us, you know, doing us a hand as a win no matter what. I could see this game as like one that gets kind of ugly if this team doesn't know how to run their offense against us. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah, I, again, I, I think that like the fact that they haven't been able to put up great numbers from three and just shooting in general um, against the caliber of schedule they played this far, like 42.7% um, isn't like great considering who they've faced so far. Um, and again, like three point shooting, not awesome. Uh, 
like uh how I, I apologize for not being able to have his name like pronounced uh Thomas Zigua is the uh guard I think it's Ziagua maybe Ziagua yeah that's probably it's better T Z I A G W A he's from yeah. he's from Florida apparently uh I don't know too much about him but he uh he's been I think probably their most their most dangerous shooter yeah, like he's definitely there. There, like if somebody's gonna get hot in three, it's him. Um, I think Kalen Boone is like your your random gets hot in three guy. Um, if, if we're adding that wrinkle, where he is uh, Boone, that was who was the forty percent? I'm like looking at three point percentage guys. Kalen Boone's four for ten on the year, so there's just like yeah, so aren't that many guys. Guy. Like there's basically like Ziagua, Waters, Boone, and uh, I think their brothers Boone, but Kalen's the one. Uh, who is four for 10 and then Cameron Madriff is two for 14. So like those are the only guys who have even attempted double digits. It's just like not a huge part of their offense as best I can tell, which um, I think if you're not able to like really diagram uh, an inside out offense against the zone, which first first uh, coaches that don't face it often generally don't do um, not being able to bomb from the outside uh, kind of makes it a really tough game to win. Um so yeah, I mean, they could come out and surprise us. Like we've seen random teams come out and like look great against it, but and teams who don't shoot well generally come out and look great against it. But the the indicators from like just looking at the numbers here aren't like they, they don't jump off the pages like oh this could be a really dangerous team against us. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else before we uh, head out for the week? No, looking forward to uh, just getting some some good basketball games under our belts. I think. If we win this tournament, we'll probably be in the top 25, depending on what goes on ahead of us. And we'll probably start to get like a little bit more of the like, oh, Syracuse might be decent this year buzz, which, you know, doesn't really matter to me, honestly. Like, I'm not that worried about what people think of us until we get closer to March. But um, it would be nice to get like a little bit of recognition for a team that looked really bad on, on opening night and then has looked pretty good and then really good in this last team in Bucknell. So if we can to impress some people against some like oh, pretty decent opponents here. Um, I think it'd be pretty cool and uh, cool to have them in the city. I don't know that I can make either game, maybe Friday. Um, that's like the unfortunate part of this running up against Thanksgiving week is like balancing going to see Syracuse basketball play versus like seeing my family. <laughs> it's a tough call, but I, I know you'll make the right one, Dan. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Whatever that may be. Uh, on that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, 